Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Everybody, welcome to Indie Game Business, our first show of 2021, which means one, we made it to 2021, which is you know an accomplishment after 2020, and two, a whole fresh new start and lovely new year and lots of cool stuff going on. But we are so honored to have the awesome Nika. I'm going to get this wrong, and we've just been talking for 10 minutes. Is it Noir? Noir. Noir. I never yeah. get this shit right. I am the worst at names. Anyway, so uh, Nika is the executive director at the IGDA Foundation, and she's one of those people that when she sends her bio over to be included in things like our event, I read it and go, the hell have I done with my life? You know, because she's done all of this other stuff, and I'm pretty sure she's younger than me, too. So anyway... Nika, this is technically your third time on the show because you've you've spoken at both of our conferences, but give everybody a little background on who you are and what you do and, and your career path to this point, and then we'll get into the IGDA Foundation as well. Okay. Well, thank you, Jay. Thank you so much. And thank you to the indie game business community for having me back on here. Um, my name is Nika Noor. I have, yeah, I've definitely been through the gambit. I've done quite a few things, but right now I am the executive director of the International Game Developers Association Foundation. The foundation is a C6 nonprofit that focuses exclusively on uh, advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the video game industry. It's something I'm very passionate about. It's something that is, um, very necessary. It is, it is, and it is quite frankly a job that I'm trying to work myself out of existence. I, I don't want the IGDA Foundation to exist because I don't want diversity, equity, and inclusion to be a problem. I want it to be a part of the ecosystem, just something that naturally kind of happens where people are integrated and where gender, race, religion, creeds, identity, sexuality, background is not an obstacle for people who want to make and play games. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, to answer your question, previously I used to be a public affairs, uh, in, I used to be the head of public affairs at the Entertainment Software Association, home to E3. Prior to that, I was the communications director for the Internet Association, where we worked on internet tech policy issues, such as net neutrality and patent reform. Um, and before that, I was a Capitol Hill staffer. Um, currently, in addition to the IGDA Foundation, I still love my tech policy wonkiness, and I'm getting my PhD in informatics. Where I currently run and work on studying the deep fake phenomenon and where it's going to affect individuals' values, beliefs, and primarily just really researching what misinformation looks like in the future. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here. I have loved video games my whole life, absolutely. And I really want people in the video game industry to, you know, who don't see, you know, characters of themselves or leaders that look like them to be more inclusive. And I want people to get jobs based on merit and get the qualifications they need and be able to advance. And 
you know, we just have a lot of work to do in that space. And I think that there is a solid measured way and a path forward, especially as these conversations are continuing to evolve. Okay, so we're going to have to start, you know, this is just like everything. What is informatics and the deep six phenomenon? The informatics and deep fakes. Um, so oh, deepfakes. Oh, I thought you said deep six. And I'm like, no, 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 deep fakes, fake God. videos. I, I know. It's, <laughs> it's like, is my mic on? Is there <laughs> something in here? Like, I, so, um, the enunciation. So, so informatics, what, what is this? What, what so is this? In, informatics is the study of information sciences. Uh, there's lots of different ways to study informatics, but think of it very broadly as any topic where you have people and you have machines and what component, whether it's human computer interaction, whether it's ethnography in terms of like feminist design of, of technology, for me, I like to study misinformation online. So essentially, how do human beings interact and react? And specifically, my dissertation and work is studying the deepfake phenomenon. I'm most interested in seeing whether or not um, deepfakes, therefore, meaning videos that appear to look and sound true, but they're actually completely falsified of individuals, uh, usually without consent. And so, you know, if you see a fake video of somebody that you know saying something that appears to look and sound true, but it isn't, does it in, does it in fact affect people's individual values, beliefs, et cetera? Do deep fakes have the ability to persuade your outset, your mindset? Um, because it's different, right? You, we see a lot of fake news in terms of text. Uh, we, we know what it is in general on social media. But I do believe, and this is what I'm kind of researching, um, what is the next level and next step when it comes to verifying sources of information when you are listening and watching something happen? Is there a planting of false memories that occurs? Um, are you, you know, projecting what you want to hear and see regardless of whether or not it's true? So these are all the questions that I'm taking the next five years to study. All right. So... We'll Which has to nothing to do with the foundation. Well, I know, but you know, it's like fascinating to me. So oh, how yeah. does that affect our industry, especially given the fact that we've got games that come out like Cold War and, and it has Reagan in it. And so much of our industry revolves around, you know, realism, even though it's digital. How is this going to be? How is it going to affect games? And are we actually enabling it? through the growth in technology and, and graphics and all this other stuff that we're doing? Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a solid question. It's one that's worth exploring and one that I'll probably add to my experiments. <laughs> I'd say that, five years. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It's a five-year topic. I'm in my second year of it. I don't think it's ever, having kind of worked on video game policy prior and it's not quite relevant to the work we do at the foundation, it's, you know, it's never quite fair to say that the video game industry is enabling, you know, technological behavior. Technological advances happen with or without games. I think games fuels, you know, product and entertainment. And yes, of course, with that comes advances that can be applied through different metrics. We see, we've seen a lot of those applications happen in virtual reality, augmented reality, where we're even seeing the healthcare industry bring on some of those technologies. Um, it's less about the advancement and the enablement and mostly about the actors and the people who are using them. And so, right, because you, you, it's like, oh, it's the same as like driving a car. If I drive a car into a building and crash it, it's not the car's fault, it's the person who is driving. And so when we look at bad actors and good actors, because there are positive uses of, uses of deep fakes, but when we talk about bad actors and good actors, what are the ethical and moral implications and where does the legal system both domestically and internationally take hold and take, you know, and create molds of policies so that we actually can protect ourselves, not just as individuals, but also protect our mental capacity when we look at, you know, the creation of false memories and false beliefs. 
Hey, this is this is way more interesting than you know some of the, the IG, no way I love the the IGDA foundation is what fills me <laughs> the IGDA foundation is what fills my soul this research is just kind of this yeah the, the research and the work I do the way I've built my whole life mantra it's really tough right you you look at things and I always desired I always thought like oh success in the United States success in America looks like you know, going to grad school, making a six-figure salary, paying your taxes. I, I always, I was, the reason why you look at that damn bio is because you look at it and you're like, oh, what have I done with myself? And I, I grew up with parents who came from very little means. They immigrated with not a lot, you know, they, they came out of the 80s revolution in Iran. And so I, I was there when my parents were before they were successful, when they were like making sure that they put their family first, getting us the best education. I mean, both of my parents' parents, you know, weren't literate. Like they could not even read and write in their own language, with the exception, I think, of my grandfather's. Um, and so I am very blessed with everything I have. And I very much learned very early on that the way we pick career paths, the way we I identify with, you know, what we should be doing with our lives is a social construct. And everything I do, especially the work with the IGDA Foundation, is a culmination of just wanting to do what it is, whatever it is I love. I, I see a lot of people, a lot of, you know, we, we give out a, one of our pre premier programmings and our flagship programming is ensuring that marginalized people and individuals that would normally have obstacles put in their way in terms of their jobs and career paths. Um, they have these ideals and these ideas of what it means to get a job in the video game industry. And a lot of this coaching and professional development demonstrates that if you move beyond like, oh my gosh, my resume needs to look like this, or I have to go to grad school to obtain that. And if you follow the footsteps of what you're intrinsically good at, what fuels you to get up out of bed at eight in the morning and get excited to get behind your computer, your job, your whatever, and take the steps to it, that's going to end up being enough. Now, obviously, you know, making sure that you have healthcare and fair pay and you're not working overtime um, unnecessarily and that your time is valued is important, but that's kind of what you're seeing. And that's, that's why you'll see that mishmash of a LinkedIn profile is at some point I just decided F it and ran you, off and just you can whatever say I wanted. we have the explicit <laughs> tag on our, our podcast you can totally drop f-bombs right. right and that's that's really what it was my whole life i was like destined to go be you know a, a cardiothoracic surgeon i grew up very much like saying i'm going to be a doctor i'm going to go to med school and i at some point just said screw it and, and, and ended up here <laughs> it, it's it's one of these things, it's fascinating, especially for our industry, because there aren't traditional routes to, to get into the game industry. Yes, if you want to be a thoracic surgeon, you go to a good university, you get good grades for the first four years, and then you go to med school, and then blah, 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 blah. 30 years later, you actually get out of you know college to you know do whatever you want to do. But in our industry, it's not like that. You know, there are game programs out there, but is it... I always find it interesting because it's like, I look back and it's like, I haven't been in college in 20 years, but if I went back now and if I had the knowledge of the real world, there's no way I would take some of the classes I would take. You know, it's like, holy Absolutely. shit. I, yeah. It's like, I would take the stuff I want to take. And, and that's where you, you have this opportunity now when you're going and getting your doctorate in, in deep faking the, uh, <laughs> It's weird when you say that loud. Like, this is a real thing. A couple of years we'll be introducing Nika as the doctor of deep fakes. Um, video game lady. <laughs> so, you know, to try to bring this back to what we're actually supposed to be talking about, um, which now I almost don't want to do. But, you know, so with the foundation, obviously you work with a lot of, of marginalized peoples and communities. Given the path into our industry, which is completely nondescript. Bonkers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what 
what hurdles do you see that get added onto this, you know, and what can we do to, you know, I know the IGDA is, it, that's part of the absolute core of it is, is finding a path to the industry. Yeah. What do you see as the path of the industry in the next, you know, three or four years and what can we be doing and what needs to be put in place to make sure it's an equal, and I'll say realistic, you know, as equal as possible path to get there. Yeah. So to give you kind of some background information, we normally fly on award scholarships to people from around the world who are either students um, coming from marginalized genders looking for their first job in the industry if they're not a student, and then individuals that have been in the industry for three to seven years, and we offer them scholarships and, and, and uh, workshops and professional development um, in an effort to retain talent because retention is really, really critical. And as a part of that, you know, we normally offer these scholarships to GDC and GDC just did not happen. So we ended up reverting to an online format and we had amazing, amazing people from all walks of life, all sorts of companies come in for a two month session during, you know, still, we're still in the global pandemic. But last year, last summer, we did two months of trainings, workshops, international conversations. And long story short, every single AMA, every single person that came in, I made sure to ask them, how did you get your job in the industry? Not a single person, not a single story went like, I went to school and then I got an internship and then I was hired. Not a single job. Everyone was like, well, I was kind of doing structural engineering and then I saw a job opening or like I was having coffee with my friend and then the bartender happened to be a recruiter. Like it's always random. And I think a part of that is because systematically, I don't think we realize that people don't know that video game jobs are real. Even myself, I fell into this by like, through the extension of when Gamergate hit, the Obama administration brought in all sorts of uh, people from backgrounds, uh, companies, marginalized genders, policy wonks into a roundtable discussion. And that's when I met everybody. I was working at the Internet Association where Zynga happened to be a member company. And from that meeting, I ended up being employed and had my first job in the games industry. I was just invited because I understood policy and I just knew what video games were because I was always asking for time off to Comic-Con <laughs> and had like Batman statues on my desk. And people just were like, do you know anything about video games? I was like, do I know anything about video games, right? I was actually like, not like made fun of, but my colleagues for years always poked fun, like, oh, there's Nika, our little nerd. She's kind of special and out there. And, and now it was like, oh, we have a resident expert. She's great. <laughs> She's wonderful. She's so smart on these things. I'm like, you guys have been making fun of me at lunch breaks and questioning my hobbies for, de for a decade. And now all of a sudden I'm great. <laughs> Now, now all of a sudden we're important, you know. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's that's always the way it works. I, I love, you know, whenever my son has a new batch of, of classmates and, and parents and we do the whole thing on the playground. It's like, so what do you do? And, you know, we're, we're in a university town. So the vast majority of them are college professors and, you know, all this stuff. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I help people make video games. And they're like, right. what? It's, like, right. yeah, it's a real job. That's the thing. <laughs> Oh so do we need a more structured way to get through this and has it changed it's like i know i see all of these yeah. universities that have these programs now but it's we we still don't see people coming out of school and going well i have a, a master's in unity or you know yeah. I think I'm definitely skewed because I'm very much insulated in giving out scholarships and grants. And we partner with, for example, the Higher Education Video Game Alliance, where we've got three, there's, they have 350 universities 
that are signed up with teachers creating curriculums and coursework. It's an initiative I've been supportive of and involved in for years and years, right? Even my own PhD, I work out of a video game lab. I'm in an esports lab. It's called the Connected Learning Lab out of the University of California, Irvine. So because I've been so indoctrinated, like I'm just very biased. I don't think I even have a great handle on, you know, how well known these things are because all I do is meet with students and peers who want a job in. And it, to me, it's really inspiring because these programs did not exist when I was contemplating college, like at all. I didn't um, know that existed until five minutes ago. All right, this is where I I don't have a concept. I do. I I I you know I'm part of this games industry gathering group that happens on Friday nights, and people will be like, "Where are you based?" And I'm like, "Oh, I, I work out of a video game lab, but I don't even do the video game research." I uh, you know, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> it's like you're all gamers, like. You all work in the industry. But we're not used to this. I mean, it, it's really not. And, and it's taken, you know, games becoming mainstream. And, and I'm going to caution myself before I do this, because I did this during our last interview. And I'm like, COVID has actually been, you know, somewhat good for the industry. And then you quickly corrected me. that like, Jay, people are dying. And I'm like, I know people are dying. That's not what I meant. I didn't mean. But we have seen a lot of growth. There's a lot of extra eyes on us now because yeah. we're one of the fortunate few industries who are, you know, generating tons of revenue right now. And we're, we're getting, because of all of this extra attention that we're getting, things like this are coming forward. And it, it's fascinating to me that we act, cause it didn't, I mean, I got my first job in the industry as a tester because I needed beer money on the weekend right. in college. I mean, it was like, there was no pathway through and all this sort of stuff. So, right. Is that helping, you know, a lot of these marginalized communities? Because it's we look at the demographics on who plays video games, and it does not match up remotely to who's making them. Well, you know, it's hard because I even don't love being like a marginalized people, right? It, they're just people. But yeah, I, um, you're doing this again, Nika. There's just. I, <laughs> Not well, and the and the reason why it's tough because you want to toe the line between political correctness, but we also have to remember that our words have currency, yeah. right? I think that's some that's an art form that even I'm learning to practice. It's just that our words have meaning, our words have currency. We have to treat it like money because that's what we do. The IGDA Foundation focuses on people, and we want every person to come in and play games regardless of who they are. And I'll be I'll be straight with you the. the the real issue is access. So sure, COVID, you've seen a boom and a boost for games and gameplay. I don't believe that all gameplay is necessarily equating to game revenue. I think that's a very different conversation. I'm still seeing layoffs in some capacity. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I'm also seeing lots of reorgs and hires. It's very strange. But games is... It's weird. It's like a, almost like we're in the Wizard of Oz and there's a big green curtain. We have no idea who's pulling the levers. And and it's it is so bizarre to me because, what you know, there's a lot of conversation now about talent and how do I hire marginalized people and this massive effort. But I meet with recruiters all the time being like, we can't find talent. And then I've got a ton of people who come to us because they're like, I heard, you know, people. Right. And I was like, of course, we know people. And they're like, um how do I get a job? And so we're constantly trying to connect the two, but we're not a staffing agency. We're not a recruiting firm. So there's some sort of disconnect there. The other one is like biases are real, right? I, I've seen it's almost like any job in any industry, you know, you have to knock on a thousand doors for someone to say, yes, I meet so many wonderful, talented people just through our programs. They're applying to things up the wazoo, but they're not getting any responses. And I'm like, how? This person literally has a video game degree. Like this person is talented. And my favorite thing I've seen is like sometimes, you know, recruiters or folks will just be like, oh, well, they're kind of green. I'm like, yeah, it's an, it's there. They just came out of college. And I think we I have maybe, yes, <laughs> maybe with COVID and that we're stuck at home and we're kind of just seeing like the same person and our dogs and our kids. We are completely forgetting, like, you know, I've, I've had to pull someone aside and be like, do you remember what you were like when you were first getting a job? Like, weren't you a piece of shit too? 
right? Like, and that's the thing is we are seeing a very real gap in the generational workforce. And there's a lot of this intrinsic, right? I mean, I, I, I am this, I'm totally of that mindset. I, I, my grantees will tell you, I am like the very stern mom. I'm like, why haven't you, you interviewed an hour? Like, yeah, I was like, why haven't, they're like, I'm like, why haven't you showered? They're like, it's Zoom, they can't smell me. I'm like, I don't care. I can tell on this call that you look like crap. The recruiter will too. This is called professionalism. Go shower. I, you know, it's like, it's here like in this weird, like mom position, <laughs> right? There is just this like gap because I remember, right? Like when I want to get a job and this is the values my parents taught me, I was raised in my parents' business. You go, you work hard, you intern, you talk to a lot of people, you dress the part, you get, you know, you pull your shoulders back. You say yes or no, ma'am. Even if you disagree, you get, you know, you earn your stripe and then you make decisions and talk back. And this is a bit of a generation where they're like, well, I want to run a video game studio. So I'm going to go become a TikTok influencer and then get funding. And I'm like, what? Your social media following does not equate to work experience. <laughs> like, like this it blows my mind I literally you know like I'm gonna get do this and then do this so I was like well why don't you just go work in a studio to learn how a studio is built so that you can actually pull together a pitch a proposal a plan what is this bullshit because nobody about? teaches some business that's they have no <laughs> idea what a pitch is they don't no one it's yeah <laughs> okay so there's a generational gap for the new people coming in and then, of course, right, there are very real biases about, you know, like there's imposter syndrome. I think some of the most talented people I've met, they're just, they're, they are not brazen. They don't have access. They're very humble. I'm, you know, I've had to, I still recall an individual, we had to tell them 10 times to apply to a job for a very overqualified resume. A lot of people, you know, they're, they are, they've been beaten down, you know, by society to, think that they're not enough, that they have to do more before they like that. They have to have the perfect pitch and the perfect resume to get that low level job. And, and, I'm, and a lot of it is just a, it's even a confidence issue. Yeah. And it's a lot of, a lot of times they don't realize the options that, that they have. And this is like all developers. This is, that's why we do our, our publisher list and the things like that. It's because yeah. there's, a, and you do, you, you have to go out there and one, you have to, be able to withstand people telling you no, which, you know, we always look at the generation behind us as going, oh, they're, you know, they got participation trophies and blah, blah, blah. It, it's, it's still, you still have to be able, even if you didn't get participation trophies, being told no to your dream is always hard, but it's just absolutely something you have to get used to. Right. And they don't, no one teaches this stuff. And that's why, yeah. you know, we do what we do. But do you see, I mean, when it comes to that education, so much of our industry for at least the 20 some years that I've been doing this isn't based off a piece of paper you get from a university. It's based off the work that you've done to this point. And do you, I mean, do you see that changing? No, because I think even game companies don't totally know what they're hiring for right are we they know right the jobs are so that this is the weird thing about games there's just so many positions available you need lawyers you need pr experts you need qa testers you need producers games engineers you need audio you need visual you know you need business acumen um you need recruiters you need hr right like you are, you are not, there's no like, here's a program that's going to help you fill the gaps for all the 12 different skill sets you need and mm -hmm. the 80 different departments you need to fill. And if you're thinking like a Schmedium company or a AAA publishing, right? Like, so now I, as a person in a company, I have to go to all these different sectors and plug and play. And you're, you are, I do feel for recruiters. It's like whack-a-mole. Then you have to figure out like, my state laws or my international whatevers and taxes <laughs> and, like, yeah. and accounting. You know, I mean, how many people are going to it, like getting their accounting and be 
becoming certified CPAs and be like, I cannot wait to become an accountant for a video game company. No one, no one's, I mean, I'm sure there are people that are out there, but it's not a trajectory. Like I didn't grow up being like, I can't wait to do diversity and policy and like, I mean, like who, who tells you that this isn't even an option? It, it is. It's one of those things that for so many years, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to go into video games, you need to know how to code or you need to know how to draw one or the other. And then, right. you know, the really talented ones of you can actually do design. You don't think about all this other stuff that you need. And then you get, you know, the opposite, not the opposite, but the other thing where, you know, when you have people like me and, and, and like you who came up in a different era are we going to call them eras have we been around long enough to call them eras i don't know, <laughs> I don't know either but that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to say you, when you add a small company you have to learn how to do everything and then you kind of slowly figure out and i know that you know eric barone at concerned ape got you know jumped all over a couple of years ago because he placed a ad for what he had as a low-level position but it was like five people's work and, and I looked at it and I went, oh, yeah, I can totally see how you didn't see that. But the other side of it is I can totally see how you thought it was because he had at that point developed Stardew all by himself, you know, to that. And so when you do that, it's, it's easy to think about. It's like, oh, OK, well, I need somebody that can do PR and social media and content creation and, oh, yeah, this other stuff on business planning because if you don't, if you run small companies, that's yeah. your normal way of thinking. But that's not the reality. You have to sit down and realize it's like, okay, just because I've done it this way for you know 10 years or 20 years doesn't mean that everybody else is gonna do it that way or that there are that many people who who can do it that right. way. Right. I mean, look, like I think there's a fine balance, right? If you are a well-resourced company with means and then in, and the capacity for a headcount and long-term way to retain headcount, not just I have, I have enough to afford this person for a year, right? Like make sure you can afford somebody for multiple years. But if you have capacity, headcount and resourcing, then yeah, it's abusive to expect one person to do five different jobs. But also like we need to understand that, you know, entrepreneurship is, is, you know, when you are going through an entrepreneurial exercise or you're building your own company or your startup, or you're a nonprofit that, you know, wants to put cash back in the hands of many people, you know, you have to make these decisions. Like, do I put this cash into growing the nonprofit or do I put this cash back in to people in society to push the agenda forward, right? These things are difficult. You do wear many hats. There was an era where like, if you want to be a small business, if you want to, you know, like one of the options that I do talk to grantees, grantees will come and tell me, I want to be X, I want to do Y, I want to do Z. I don't want to succumb to the video game industry's pressures of A or B or C. I'm like, oh, so that's an entrepreneurial path. And if you listen to almost any, how I built this podcast on NPR, look at how Starbucks started, look at how that lip bar company started. Um, you know, you end up wearing all these hats. That is part of what it means to build a company. Like, you know, you I have to manage personnel and then make sure that the volunteers are okay and then tell my board what's happening and manage partners and companies and make sure that they feel good. I have to make sure that their contributions, you know, aren't like just embezzling money through us because they feel good because they did it under the name of diversity. You're right. Like, it's like, I, I have to vet people. All of a sudden, you get oddly specific there at the end. <laughs> like, like, that's not a bit, right? Those are, I knew what I was taking on. And that's a little bit, right? Like running these more smaller, medium, like enterprises. Like, it's the question is what fuels you? What fuels you? It's like, it's annoying. You know, you have to do everything. It's exhausting. You're always looking for resources. But also it is very fulfilling that like the people I answer to are dope and I get to make my own decisions in this industry. And my decisions impact the betterment of communities that maybe aren't as vocal, maybe don't have a voice, maybe will face retaliation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't say whatever I want, but um, you, you know, you have those freedoms that you normally wouldn't with an employer. 
Sorry. But that also means you have to take on five different tasks. I, I keep glancing to the side because the college kids beside us are snowboarding in their backyard because we have that much snow and I keep seeing them move and I'm like, what the? Um, all right. So we've got some questions coming in and we still want to, I, I still have some other stuff that I want to get to and we're already like over halfway in. Um, so Michael says, I love the topic. You know, we're a studio that's taking diversity and inclusion and putting it into the game itself with wheelchairs, prosthetics, you know, lots of stuff like that. What organizations might be interested in helping us move our agenda forward? Yeah. So remember that when you're looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion, there are a lot of layers to it. There are a lot of layers. It's more complex of an issue. And so if you're thinking about how do I have the appearance, right, if you're trying to have more diverse, inclusive games, um, there's a lot of interesting, there's a lot of great experts and consultants DM me. I'm happy to in, make introductions for you. There are people whose entire expertises are into the best practices of making sure that your game is inclusive, making sure that you're not appropriating. Um, and there are people there literally who have studied, you know, like PhDs, academics and humanities that have studied design. Um, I, I know a couple of people and I'm happy to make referrals. It depends a little bit more on specifically what if, if it's characters and skin building, is it the cultural development? Are you building a game designed around a culture and you want to make sure that that representation is accurate while, you know, not, not devaluing the actual entertainment value of the game. All of those are completely fair and substantial. So like, depending on like the specifics, feel free to send me kind of a DM or an email. Um, and I will, I will make whatever the referrals is. If it's, if it's talent in your studio and or you want to give back to the community, that's where the IGDA Foundation is helpful. But Mike, I'll take care of it. You do. I know both of you. It's 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 all good. Um, and so, Div, Div had another one, a question in here. Hold on, uh, yep, Divinorium from on Twitch. When you were talking about the the hiring and the jobs and the opportunities and all this sort of stuff, how do you tackle that difference between triple A's and indies? Because it's it is it's two different worlds in many cases. Uh, really good question. So I've obviously worked on behalf of triple A's before, uh, managing kind of public policy, public affairs, and in this space, I get to hang out and communicate and workshop with indies. I will be honest, I feel like, like I hope like the world doesn't get mad at me. This space is way more fun. <laughs> I love it so much more. <laughs> I feel really bad admitting that. <laughs> because like I and I hope I like I don't really care if I am trouble, but like, you know, yes. working on the kind of the with the executive side of triple A's, it's really amazing how many execs don't really like play video games and is that weird is that that i don't know if that's okay to say or not so like you no, know when I, I, I've, I've been saying that for 20 years i mean it, okay it, like it, when it, i entered the games industry you have to understand when i got my first job i was like so i was like oh my god did you see this thing and this movie that came out and there's this new arcade and i like i have the highest score in centipede in the philadelphia video game bar i, I literally could not like i could not stop talking it was, it was, and then, and literally, like, I kid you not, I remember these three lawyers from three different companies going, yeah, we don't, don't play video games, but we're so glad that you do. We really need you here. So, we're so glad that there's someone who understands gamers working in the video game industry. Now help us get more women. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Like they're all amazing people, but it was always just like I thought I was going to have colleagues. So I know I'm straying from the question. So then back to like your more indies and game developers, and the types of people who walk through the foundation's doors. You know, it's exciting because I was so apprehensive entering this. And I'm like, all right, I'll just be. And then I'm like, ooh, she's got blue hair. Ooh, he's got like that fun T-shirt on. And then I was like, oh my gosh, these people play games. Thank God. <laughs> doing this as long as I have, I have this like weird little ability now, whenever I travel, as I'm walking down the streets in whatever city I'm in, wherever it is in the world, I can identify in a heartbeat who is there for the game convention and who is a normal citizen. 
And it's helpful when you're in a strange city and you're like trying to find this this event that's happening or whatever. And yeah, you you can do it. You can go. Oh wait, that with us. That that that's one of us. We can, we can go this way and get it done. But it, the the executive thing has gotten better in the last 25 years. But I, I'm the same way. It's like I, I I totally expected when I got into this that well the people that are running the big companies they are playing these games and you realize they're not they're there because the board put them there because they have fiscal responsibility and blah 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 they're very good at what they do clearly like the industry is booming in a right but i still i still remember sitting in a meeting with very high level individuals and you know like you know something's going on with gamers and the internet and so remember that i was like kind of explaining the synopsis and why the resentment and therefore feelings about things and then I had to answer the question of what Reddit was. <laughs> to explain Reddit. <laughs> I was like, how, how do you do that, Nick? First you do that real quick. How do you explain Reddit to somebody who doesn't know what Reddit is? <laughs> and the worst part is like I am like I'm I'm literally in tears right now. And like I had to explain it because the thing is I didn't want to make him feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, you're not old. Like, what like, is like? <laughs> you would you would normally go well. It's like a message board, but I people know. that don't know what like, Reddit is don't know what message boards are either. So it's like, um, like so it's like email in real time, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, no, it's like email that everyone can read, and then they yeah. can, you know, vote on whether or not your email it's sucks like your or not. Inbox is public, but categorized by subject matter. Anyway, oh no, so the thing that I tell them, like, there's, there's, there's a lot of new people right now. Those people with the pieces of paper coming out and trying to work in the video game industry. That you now have people, and rightfully so, growing up because like their parents are buying them games. Right? You you still have a generation of people who don't know what Valve is, right? They're not like going to the Steam store to download, right? They don't know. It's kids figuring out through social media, their parents being apprehensive about putting credit cards in there. That's why you have the ESRB that hopefully is, you know, they're they're rating games and trying to help parents understand. But you do have these kids because they are so much ingratiated with the products they're buying from Target shelves or whatever their home choices are, that'll come and be like, I want to work at Activision Blizzard. I want to work at um, Xbox. I want to work for Nintendo. All of them, totally valid options. I absolutely, we work with quite a few of these companies uh, and they have developed beautiful, amazing products, but I've had to explain like, you know, if you get your first job at a big box company, think of it as a big box real, real, real uh, um, store, you know, you're going to be very likely working on one specific test. Like the way you build your experience is going to be different. It's, you know, whereas if you go into like an indie studio, you're going to get more hands on deck. You might have more learnings. There's people that, you know, will have to have more time to explain, you know, how the development of a game works because everyone is all on all deck, so all hands on deck. And so I try to outline like, sure, like you can go and work here, but you know, it's, it's, it's a big company. Like, you know, you will be one of thousands and thousands of people with all these policies in place. It's not like you get to walk into there and be like, I know what skin works like. You know? like, I have an idea for a game and like, so no, like, that's yeah. not how it works. We, we get enough of those already. We don't right? need. And people do, people have that ideal. So I walk them through like, there are amazing people. And so, yes, we'll bring in, we'll do workshops with the big companies so that they know how it actually works if they so desire to work there. But then I bring in awesome people and it's changed and shaped the way people have thought about working in games industry because this is stuff that they apparently don't teach you in college. No. <laughs> I had no idea. No. I'm still in tears though. I'm sorry. I'll also say, you know, the added advantage of the ESRB is, you know, growing up, Luckily, the ESRB didn't exist until I was already out of their sphere of influence. You know, but I snuck, you know, I did have to sneak to the store and buy Mortal Kombat, you know, when I was yeah. in, in high school. But the advantage as a parent is 
you know, their ratings are tend to be a little higher than it's like I police with, with my child because it's like, but at the same time, I know what's in these games. There's no question. It's like, but you know, if you don't want your kid fucking with your saved games, it's very easy to go. No, sorry, buddy. It's M. You can't play it until you're like 18. And you know, he's nine. He looks at that as like word of law. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. No, because I know what you'll do. You'll steal all my shit and you'll build like random stuff. And then I come back and I'm on survival mode with a toothpick. And so um, it, it, it is, it's, it's there and it helps. And I'm glad, I wish we had a global system and not, you know, ESRB and then Peggy and everything else, but you know, whatever, I'll take what, take what I can get. Um, all right. So let's talk about COVID and post-COVID, hopefully to God, post-COVID, you know, how has that changed, you know, communication and, and how does that affect, you know, people with, with the work from home? Because I see it, you know, I'm in the rural mountains of, of North Carolina. And when we went to, you know, distance-based learning, it's like, I wasn't worried about my kid. My kid's got nice broadband internet and more devices than we know how to deal with. But, you know, you deal with some very, not only, you know, poor families up here, but places in the mountains where you literally can't get internet. And if you do, it's from a satellite. And we all know that sucks. So, you know, what changes are we seeing and, and how is this affecting the industry and, and the people in the industry and, and all of these groups? Yeah, it's shaped a lot of, gosh, it's shaped, it's shaped a lot. <clears throat> There's, for us, we're international, right? And so pre-COVID, we would have difficulties of awarding scholarships, bringing communities together from different countries. And we were facing, obviously, exorbitant costs, which meant I can't help as many people as I'd like to because it's, you know, most of our programming is San Francisco. Um, and let's put it this way, like the city doesn't care if you're a nonprofit. <laughs> like a sandwich still costs 20 bucks. Right? <laughs> um, but one of the challenges is that we had, I mean, our two challenges that I was hoping to solve after last GDC was accessibility. We had people that could not physically fly that were applying, but they were like, I would see applications where people are like, please, please give me this. Like, here's like my restriction, but I will crawl if I have to. I, I was like, no way. Like we have to, like, there's gotta be a better way than somebody crawling on them. Now, especially if you think about like, they're like crawling on the floor, right? We really Especially at one of our conventions. That wouldn't yeah, right. Like but it's like, gosh, there's so much ambition there, right? There's so much ambition, so much spark, so much energy. And I'm like, gosh, the, now the obstacle is physical. Then you had the second obstacle, which is we had people whose visas were straight up rejected yeah. because their local governments in their respective countries were like you want to go to America to play video games for a week? Yet, no. <laughs> like, we see that too. I mean, I've talked to several Iranian game devs in the last two years, and it's just like, it's difficult to even help them because, you know, in the U.S., it's like I'm not even allowed to sign a contract with them. You know, yeah. it's, it's, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, don't apologize. Please don't. I mean, those are right. That's, that's my, that's my heritage. That's, it's, you know, it's, it's sad. I'm so fortunate uh, that my circumstances aren't that. And so how, how do you accomplish that? So in a, in a post, I always had a, a, a vision to take some of our resourcing online. And I think the, the beauty is that margins are lower, which means that I can double the number of people I would help at the same time you can't trade in-person experiences for what they are. I mean, you, you just can't like, there is something about professional development where being in an office, though I loathe being in an office to be honest with you, but uh, we were full remote prior, but being in an office, like having that acumen of like interacting with people, learning those social dynamics, like what it means, having that structure. Some people need that structure. Everyone is different. I'm, I am I'm positively optimistic in a post-COVID world of a hybrid model. 
where people are able to, you know, maybe choose to come into an office for a few hours or not and be able to tend to things. I remember prior, I used to be one of those, I was working like, I would work like 18 hours, nap under my desk for two hours, get on a plane. I mean, I was always in my office. <clears throat> I was one of those who people were like, well, you don't have kids, so you can work on this this weekend, or you live five blocks from the office, like you can come in and do whatever, even if it's snowing out. And I never said no. I, I never placed boundaries because I was always felt like I had to be grateful for the job I had because I, you know, that's just the gratitude that I was intrinsically born with the values that were instilled is that like you have a job you have health care like this is how you live these are the social constructs i know i know what you're a health care well, i had health care <laughs> i still have health care but right but hey, that's the thing like it, you know tomorrow's never guaranteed and so i did i i i definitely gave too much of myself to employers prior to this and i'm hoping that now like the idea of like you know people I mean, I, I didn't even get, I never, I, I still remember weeks of not having, like, this is disgusting, but clean laundry because I was working so much that I didn't do my laundry. Like, my home was a mess. And now I'm hoping that this hybrid approach, I mean, if you think about parents, people that have two-hour commutes to work, people that are trying to make ends meet, I'm hoping that this hybrid system of work from home balance is there with, but still making sure that we have access because, access and, and networking and relationships are really what build jobs and career paths, whether we like it or not. I'm seeing that now. A lot of our grantees, I made personal recommendations for people who, if I knew somebody, I put that personal rec in. And that's how a lot of people got at least their first interview, mm -hmm. just because they knew somebody or were told, you know, like, that's, that's a very long-winded answer. Well, no, no, you touched on something else that I want to get into, but we do. We've we've only got about five ten minutes left. So if you've got a question for Nika, post it in chat wherever you are. We'll get it. You know, we'll, we'll get it answered. What you brought up about that work ethic—that yeah. is, that's the same way when I started in the industry. Didn't have kids. Didn't have family. You know, I'm working. You know, ridiculous hours because same things. Like, oh my god. I barely graduated college, but I got a job in the game industry. We still see a lot of that, but we also sit back and we preach to these developers and to these companies. It's like, you've got to stop crunch culture. You have to do all of these things and set boundaries. How do we, and, and I've said for, for years that yes, you know, crunch in, can be heavily laid blame on poor planning and, and management, but it also filters all the way down to the QA lab and, and the brand new people who look at one another when it's like, okay, I need to go home and spend some time with my family, or I need to have some me time out of this office. And, you know, the, the person beside you looks at you and goes, oh, you're leaving. We have this stuff. That ambition and that love for games is what drives all of us in this industry. How do we balance and how do we teach that balance to another generation when, you absolutely constantly see online people are like, oh, if I had a job there, I would work there 24 hours a day. And, and you and I would want to look at them and go, fucking no, that's not what you do. But it's it's the game industry. And that's how do we balance that? How do we teach that balance? So I'm I'm very honest with our grantees. We even just had a board meeting the other day and I acknowledge this. I have I have terrible boundaries. I, I, I just do. My parents work all the time. Like I grew up in a household where my parents, they ran business together. They're now very successful, but they're still like, it's now 25 years later and they still work themselves to the bone, like night and day. Like they don't take vacations, even like damn COVID. But like my plan was like, if I was to ever get married and I'm, you know, slotted to get married one of these days, if I was to ever get married, I'm forcing it to be international just so that it forces my parents to actually take a break to go somewhere. <laughs> I cannot wait. This is just how our family works. This is so messed up, but my, like literally like, and I found it with myself even over the holiday break. And, and it's weird, especially when you're in a management or leadership position, you really want to, and you love what you do. You want to like, take care of people. So you always like throw yourself in the line of fire to, so that they can protect their time. 
Um, and that's something, especially with computers and international and now that like anybody can access you at any time, this top in the last, in, the, in every position I've had prior to this one, I would take a three week leave because I would work weekends. Yeah. So I would have a three week leave. I would literally fly to another country that I knew was remote. So one year I went to India for three weeks. One year I went to, I did Greece. I backpacked these places. I, I did Greece. So I would travel internationally where my internet connection was limited because I, because people would still reach out to me if I was on vacation, even if I was very clear. So I would just, I went to camp. I went through the jungles of Cambodia and I took very extreme measures to <laughs> disconnect from work because I have no boundaries. So I am a terrible, I'm, I'm learning on it. And I think that the mantra that, you know, I've been advised and I'm still learning is like the return on Nika is kind of how it's been outlined to me. So what is the, like, how do you value your time and you value it against your mission? Because if, if I could, if it was up to me, I would take every meeting under the sun. I would help every, like I, it's, 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 pro, it's a problem. Like even if my own place needs to get like cleaned up, whatever, I'll still then like take the day and help somebody else move for 14 hours instead. And while my own stuff isn't in order, like it makes no sense. And that's kind of because, you know, culturally, you know, my parent like it was a value in our household that hard work is what delivers success and values. But I've also learned that that's just not the case. I've had, I've worked my ass off and had people basically be like, yeah, we don't let women do whatever here. You know, and this is modern day society. I've been straight up told like, oh yeah, you do whatever. But you know, like John and I'm like, you know, I've got nothing against John, but my performance is clearly like fact-based exceeding John. <laughs> And so, you know, you learn like life's not fair and you think about it and you look at John, you're like, well, John went to brunch and I was in the office every time he was in, at brunch. And so you start to learn how to reshape your own story. Um, and how you talk you about hiring people that go to brunch during the week anyway. I mean, again, I, I have no words. That's when I mean, that's when, you know, okay, it's time to leave, go where you're valued. And that's a, a, a terrible, I mean, it is, I, and I, you know, I'm the very same way. What you should do, right? I, I'm kind of like an anti-guru. Like people always expect like, oh, well, you know, there are certain values and stuff we're very good at. And there are some that we're not. And this is just one that I personally struggle with. So th this is where we, we all get to say, you need, you, do, you need to do what I say and not what I do. Exactly. That, that, that's the, uh, that's, yeah, same here. All right. So last question from L Brown, the destroyer over on Twitch. What are your opinions on using an automated HR solution company? Depends on the size. <laughs> and Depends. we're good for another hour. Um, I, I know. I, um, so it's very, I'm someone that doesn't like to give direct advice or feedback unless I see like the broad picture. Like, what is your objective? What is your broad picture? How big are you as a company? How, you know, what are, what is it you're trying to achieve? Is it cost? Um, it is very difficult. Like HR at the end of the day, I've got also mixed feelings about HR and society. Like, you know, it depends on what country you're operating out of when it comes to HR, because HR means a lot of different things elsewhere. Um, you can't automate people. So like you can automate, you can try to automate payroll. You can automate some paperwork. You can automate what's required by state law, but you can't automate people because the types of issues that typically go to HR, right? There is a whole category of issues that just cannot be automated. If you have workplace harassment, those complaints typically go to HR. If you don't have a mother's room, and you have a physical office, I don't think you can really automate setting up a, right? Like set, uh, automate that request. Um, I don't love when diversity, equity and inclusion work and then people and culture work and HR get lumped into one category. It's weird. It's very prevalent in games. I think it's an issue and a conflict of interest. I'll be very candid there. 
if you look at maybe even, I'm not saying internet companies are doing great, right? But if you look at at least some tech companies, startups, Silicon Valley, like you can't be the person who's handling diversity, equity, and inclusion solutions and managing like legal complaints and HR issues. That's a, people I don't think recognize, that's a conflict of interest um, because you, you as an employee and an employer need to have a good regulated area where investigations and claims and whatnot can occur in a safe matter that follows the law, but also understands what the gray areas are and then advance overall solutions for the health of your company. And those things are really freaking separate. Um, and you, there's, you're not going to love this. There's never going to be a one size fits all to people because people are complicated. People are beautiful. People are, messy people come from very different backgrounds and values and i think a really good book a book that i'm reading now i don't have it uh, let's see if i can pop it on the discord is drive looking at how people are motivated to do work is a and and how you're incentivizing and running culture at your workplace um the guy who makes the book drive does a really good job at outlining and detailing you know workplace efficacy not to be efficient but to understand how we reason through the workplace, just like how we reason online and we reason as people and we reason through getting work done. And so it's, it's hard. I'm not like, this is the way to do it. All of it's hard and I get it. You wanna invest all of your money into R&D. You wanna increase profit margins, like go make your money, you know? Like I have is no it, Is it the book from Daniel Pink? I think so. Is it a red and white book? Yeah. It's a big drive. I mean, it's a it, it does a very good job outlining workplace cultures and how we blur the line, various forms of motivation and the incentivization of it. Um, I'm I'm reading it kind of slowly but surely, and because I really want to read with intention, uh, it, it does a very good job of kind of outlining that. Awesome, Nika. Thank you as always. These are always this is. I was hoping somebody was going to troll us and be like, explain Reddit to me. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly why, you know, people are like, well, well what kind of questions are we going to go through on the interview? And I'm like, I don't know. We're going to find out when we get in it. If it was all structured, this would be boring. This is, you know, this is what we get. I had to explain what Twitch was to another video game executive. I'm just like, I'm just like, the memories are flooding back. <laughs> Scattered career. Now do you need to go to your safe space and, and just, you know, know. just like, <laughs> with like a candle or something? I was all like, oh. Is there an essential oil for our industry? Because that's a company that needs to like just take just rebrand any already like meditative calming kits and be like, but for gamers <laughs> and make it cool. Why does this smell like dreams burning? Well, yeah. that's, that's our industry. That's, that's basically. Uh, I, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, aromatherapy for dumpster fire. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's like, we're gonna, can we just do this like every week? This is, this is therapy. Announcements next, next month that I think you're going to enjoy. Maybe we can do something then. Yes, it, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll do, if we're booked, we'll do a freaking special one. And we've got our next event coming up in the first week of March. You know, Sweet. not entirely too soon that that was scheduled and I have to do all of that stuff. So yeah, we can do we can do it there too. Um, everybody, thank you very much. You can find Nika and all of our guests on our Discord. It's, it's www.discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. I'm sorry, I haven't done this in like three weeks and my brain doesn't remember all the shit that I'm supposed to say. But all of our stuff is on YouTube too. Just search for Indie Game Business. You'll find it, all of our conference sessions, all of our podcasts, everything. And, you know, we will be back next week. And I don't know who with, but we'll figure it out soon together. That's that's what we do. All right, everybody. Thank you. Oh, I, does the IDGF have a web page? Yes. It's IGDAfoundation.org. I'm not sure which chat we're typing into, but. Uh, well, do it do it in the one we're on Streamlabs. I sent it to everybody. Awesome. Okay, so we were almost gone. And, but we're not now. I know.
We're gone now. There we go. Somebody found us. All right. Now we're gone. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend and stay safe. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.